Well, it is the 3rd of January, and so far, no sunrise yet for 2021. Um, do you want to clarify that? Because I think there is a large pool of people who would find that very alarming. Yes, well, Especially no, given it has how 2020 been... went. Fair enough, no. So a, a, a cloud of darkness has descended upon the nation, uh, and we are forever trapped in it. And there is no more sun. There is no more light. We are doomed. <laughs> Which is just to say that the monsoon is upon us, right? You right. know, the, the, we are now experiencing a fairly strong monsoon that's been heightened in part also by the La Nina effect. Right. Um, which, which, so, so La Nina and El Nino are paired phenomena, mm-hmm. uh, which causes uh, opposite effects on different sides of the Pacific Ocean. So if you're in okay. California, El Nino means that it's going to be wet and La Nina means it's going to be dry. Whereas okay. the opposite occurs in Southeast Asia, which is that uh, La Nina usually brings wet weather and El Nino brings very dry weather. So the to conf- admit, this yeah. is not something that I fully understand. Like, I mean, up to everything that you have said up to now, I understand, right? But the mechanism... Okay, yes. I, I it's don't complicated. understand what's going on. It's it's basically about the shuttling of warm and cold water uh, across the Pacific, right? Right, and this is you know this is down to these deep oceanic currents, deep and shallow. To be fair, oceanic currents that um, uh, oscillate, which is why the the El Nino is called the ENS or the El Nino Southern Oscillation. Okay, so it's it's part of this system that occurs in the southern part of the Pacific Ocean. Right. Where you have oscillations of cold and warm water. And so when your water is, uh, I cannot remember the exact details, but I think if the water is cold, there's not as much uh, evaporation. And so, hang on. Uh, yeah. And so there's not a lot of, uh-huh. of, of precipitation and vice okay. versa if it's warm. If Am I getting this right? I might be getting it the other way around. But regardless, it is about cold and warm water and how uh-huh. this influences uh, uh, weather patterns uh, you know, on, on, on land masses that are on basically the opposite sides of the earth. Okay, to be honest, all I really want to know is when will it be over? Because the weather is absolutely miserable. I kind of like it. I really like it. Have you, you been know, indoors most of the time? I have time. been indoors the last three days. <laughs> I have not left the house except I to mean, go like yesterday. Okay, scavenge. so yesterday I had um, I had a lunch appointment and a dinner appointment. Oh dear! And um, I mean, the whole experience was kind of miserable. So the thing about the thing about Singapore that's nice most of the time is that we are very aggressively sheltered from the elements. Right, yes. it's like there's air conditioning everywhere. There are walkways everywhere. You can go from you know from building to building, often through underpasses and things like that. Except the Orchard Road Apple Store. I'm just gonna say <laughs> that's true. That there's is true. No, uh, I mean, I mean, okay, my gym is in that building. On- so ah, okay. I, I understand the pain, right? <laughs> in, um, in Orchard Road, right, the, the, the Neon City Wisma Atrius side of the street is completely linked up by 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 under underpasses. But yes. the other side, which is the is not, yeah. I would say the fancier, the posher side of the street, yeah. or the more corporate side of the street, 
tends yeah. to not be linked up. And so I mean, much funnily enough, Lucky Plaza is linked to the other side of the street, right? To You can get from Nian City to Lucky Plaza just by oh, another path. Oh, that's true, but that's... The, but that's because it's closer to the Orchard MRT cluster, right? There's the that's Shaw, true, yes. uh, Shaw Lido and, and Lucky Plaza, which has another yeah. pass. And yeah. I mean, Tang Plaza is, is definitely posh yes. and it's connected, uh, but it's also much closer true. to the train station. Anyway, the thing yeah. is, the lunch <laughs> appointment that I had was in Tiong Bahru. It's in Tiong Bahru Ouch. and it's in a standalone it... restaurant, right? Like, it's just oh, one of those, okay. like, it's a building by itself. And then the restaurant... I mean, Tiongbaru is interesting because obviously it's a very old estate. Yes. Right? And so many of the walkways are narrow to begin with. Yeah. Which doesn't provide a lot of sheltering from the rain. Right. And to get there, um, <laughs> there you, you can't get there just by, by train. You have to take no. the bus and yeah. then you have to walk. Yeah. And so... I had to trudge there in the rain. <laughs> then after the after lunch, naturally it was still raining. Okay, this is the crazy thing. So I went for lunch and I was greeted at the entrance by um, what feels like a, an inexperienced server or an inexperienced, oh no. you know, staff member, shall we say. Sure, and, front of um, house person. Front of house, yeah. And I I got in the... I, it's not really... Okay, so so what, what it is is that there, it, there's an interior, right? And there is a five-foot way outside. Yes. And the five-foot way is part of the restaurant. As in, they, they treat it as an interior area, basically. And they have these... these um, okay. I don't know what you would call it, but they have these barriers or screens screens they have these screens that okay. that they can pull down during during rain and right. it basically turns it into an indoor area like it's effectively you know you're completely shielded from the outside yeah and yep. um so i went inside as in i entered the shielded area right i was greeted by this front of house person and i was like hey i'm here um and i'm here for a reservation Okay, and he was like, "Check in first." Like, whoa! <sighs> All right. <laughs> so, I checked in using safe entry. I took my temperature. Right, that's the thing that we all do now. Which honestly, I forgot because yes. I was just, I was just like, I want to get out of the rain and get inside. Yes. Then I did, and then I turned back to him. He was like. No umbrellas inside. Oh, for crying like, out loud. Um, okay. What a welcoming experience. I know. This sounds like back of house staff who's been rotated to the front of house because of manpower. The thing is, he looked, he looked very young, right? And ah, I think, okay. like, he just has no idea how to... How to deal with people. Yes. Yeah, like, he has not acquired those skills yet. So... Okay, so here's the other crazy oh. thing, which was then he just gestured generically to like where all the umbrellas were. So basically, um, all the entire five foot walkway spanning the entire front, 
this entire storefront, right, is just umbrellas. Not open umbrellas, okay? It's Ooh. closed umbrellas and they are just they're just leaning on the floor, whatever. Oh, that is but, unsightly. Well, yeah, but you can't see it from the road. Sure, yeah. Right, and and that you can imagine, right, this is a I I have no sense of how how to calculate how many people can be seated in a restaurant, but yep. you can imagine how many umbrellas there are. Like every <laughs> single person who has arrived there has carried mm-hmm. an umbrella because it's just mm-hmm. a standalone building. Yes. There's no shelter going in. There's no shelter coming out. Um, yep. Yeah. And of course, by the time I left, it was still raining. I mean, it's been, it literally stopped raining only at night, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I picked up my umbrella, which was still wet. <laughs> and then <laughs> I trudged off to find the nearest, well, not the nearest bus stop exactly, but the, the bus stop to escape. Right. Oh, and boy. Then, so I'm just looking at the weather map now, and there's a huge system bearing down on us. It's going to hit in... In the next hour or so, I think. Oh, excellent. Uh, I'm going to be indoors most of today, so that's, that's <laughs> fine. Um, but I mean, it's like, it's, it's craziness. Okay, so so just from from those two trips exposed to the elements, Yes. right? My umbrella was wet and <laughs> um, not just wet. Okay, I have one of those compact umbrellas. Ah. And it has the cover. Miserable. Right? Okay, yeah. I mean, the combat umbrella is fine, for, for me at least. Um, then there's the the cover that it comes with. When I put the cover on, the whole thing soaked through within like, within like five minutes. Yikes. Yep. How wonderful. I mean, and, okay. there, there is an interesting. Sorry, yeah, no, you're serious. And I, I just, I was just thinking because it's, I'm, I'm not going to be indoors most of today. Actually, I am, mm-hmm. I'm going out for, for lunch. Right. Which, which does mean that we have to, we have to stick to a one-hour timing because, uh, haha, we do I have to go out for lunch. So yes. So, um, my yesterday, my, my dad drove us out so drove me to the train station drove the rest of the family to go and eat lunch and we actually have a sheltered path from our block to the car park but for some reason we didn't take the sheltered path I still don't understand this <laughs> I think I think they just thought like okay we'll just take an umbrella we'll, we'll you know walk across it's fine and uh, it was not fine it was not fine <laughs> because we ended up on the side of a car park, which had a humongous puddle in it. Ah, I see. Yes, and that, which is the other thing, right? Now, now we are seeing because the, here's the with the amount of just the volume of rainwater, stuff is not draining. Yes, correct. And there are just there is just ponding everywhere. I mean, I I showed you the photo of the playground near my house, right? Yes. Yep. Of the... I mean, I guess this wasn't part of the original design intention, but it kind of works. The The playground <laughs> is a bit sunken in, and uh-huh. most of the, the, the play features are raised off the ground anyway. Right. 
there's a bit of like a you know like a platforming thing, so mm. it actually works when the water accumulates in there. Um, and then the kids splash about. Yeah, the kids are splashing about. They're having the time of their life. It's a it's it's a wading pool. <laughs> Until of course the mosquitoes move in, then you know, then the town council will have to do something about it. Right, but right now it's not stale water. <laughs> no, right now it's it's really not stale water. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure by now you've seen like the Lorong Halus. Um, I have um, the flooding. Lake. Well, I mean, so <laughs> yeah, so I mean, Lorong Halus is an interesting place because it's a you know that place naturally is a, a swamp. Right. Okay. Right. So yeah, no shit, it will flood. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I mean, the it, it does bring up some some broader issues. Um, number one, so so a couple of things I want to talk about on on, on this aspect. The first, I and I, I've just posted this in the show notes, uh, is a tweet. A thread mm. by Winston Chow, who's an associate professor of climate change and urban studies at SMU, right? Uh, where he talks about how you know the, number one, we just fell about five point four millimeters shy of the record rainfall. Right. Uh, when Chang'e. when is the record? So, when was the record oh, rainfall? I cannot remember off the okay. top of my head. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So in any case, uh, hang on. The rain. Uh, b- 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 when was this? So, 2011. So the storm ended at 9pm. Yeah. Is, and is so, yep. based on that cutoff time, um, we yeah we were just 5.4 millimetres short of, of the 2011 record uh-huh. uh, rainfall. And, you know, he, he does go on in the thread to talk about whether or not this can be attributed to climate change. But right. insofar as we can see, there's no real signal yet. Or at least, you know, it needs to be analysed and compared against historical trends to see whether or not this is within the acceptable bounds of weather variation or whether this is part of a clim- larger climate anomaly. Right, right. So, but that that's one thing. Now, the other thing, of course, is I'm sure you must have seen the Mothership article going around about how people uh, are freaking out over Bishan Amukyo Park flooding. Yes, that will definitely be in the show notes. Because, uh, I mean, honestly... For fuck's sakes. Honestly, <laughs> I, I think that's a... Um, that's a really well done article. Clearly, some government comms official was very hard at work on first January. Um, <laughs> oh no, I know the writer. So she uh-huh. she usually covers environmental issues, and most of this stuff is publicly right. available information. Right. Okay. That's that's good. That's yeah. good to know. I was like, um, somebody yeah, she, was working oh, overtime. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I I don't I mean this is I mean this is stuff that crops up again and again and again and again. You know the the the, the thing about Singaporeans being how should I put it? Um Singaporeans are very urban creatures. Yes. Right. And I mean much as Singaporeans do travel a fair bit, most of them have not experienced other countries in a in a genuine sense. I I just have to say I'm I'm on Mothership's uh, website, and yes. I'm scrolling through trying to find that article about the Bishan Amokyo drainage I have area. It on the, yeah. You okay. have it. Oh yeah, you have it. Great. Yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> there is this there is this headline that's amazing. Um, angry driver in Singapore chases after <laughs> own car as he forgets to <laughs> brake during road yes. rage incident. Yes. Great. <laughs> I, I love that. Okay, but okay, yeah. But anyway, so men, I mean, Singaporeans travel a fair bit. That that yep. that, that much is fa- is fair. But I think many Singaporeans are broadly unaware of larger issues 
So when they travel, you know, they're going to the same places uh, that everyone else goes to, all the tourist traps. But there is yeah. no broader recognition or understanding of issues like, for example, flooding. Mm-hmm. We're so used to, you know, urban spaces being completely managed. Yeah. Right? That, you know, flooding as a natural phenomenon becomes so alien to us. And this, to be fair, it's not just a problem with Singapore, right? And yeah. I may have talked about this before, but this is a topic I love to expound on, uh, especially after I did a class on this uh, as an undergrad with, with a pretty famous professor uh, where he just went on and on and on about flooding as well. Uh, okay. But flooding is a natural phenomenon. Yeah. Flooding is natural, right? The flood plain is called as such because it floods yep. on a regular basis, right? Um, and it is humans who have, you know, learned that, oh, the floodplain contains very fertile soils. Yeah. Right. Who have started to colonize the floodplain. And then these farming areas give way to becoming urban areas. And then when the flooding regime naturally happens, people complain. Right. You you see the case in, for example, New Orleans. Yes. I I was going with um, Florida in... Florida. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, although this is not something Bangkok. that I know um, a lot of detail about. Right. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've listened to a Planet Money episode um, on insurance. It's, I, okay, right. I mean, let, let's be honest. I get all my, you know, intellectual <laughs> stimulation from a few places, right? Um, <laughs> the typical East Coast liberal kind of thing. Um, Planet Money, Radiolab, New Yorker, Atlantic, right? Let's just be real. It's one of those places. Um, Liberal media elite. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And, you know, for all the the people who are saying like, ah, you are Singaporean, why do you read American news sources and all that stuff? Like, I, 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 I did also... You know, I did also live in New York for. No, like but three, I mean, these years. are broader issues that you have to be. I, you know, Singapore is a very small country, right? I and 100% agree with you, right? It's like if you are going to restrict yourself to only Singaporean media, you're going to. You're missing out on a lot. Right, but it's not just that. It's that the issues that matter to us mm-hmm. often don't matter to elsewhere in the world. For example, yes. you know, desertification and aridification. Probably right. not a concern for us right now. Right, might be in the future, but you know that's that's a different story. But still, yeah. you know, it it pays to be aware of these broader issues. And you know, the the whole thing about flooding, right, is that we 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 you know, I mean, the whole thing about ponding, right, was so okay. surprising. Wait, several let me, years let me, ago. Oh god. Let me finish my thought about yeah, about Florida. And the reason why yes. I kind of zoomed in on on Planet Money, although it may not be Planet Money, come to think about it, was um, this is a. They, they were, whichever news source I got it from was coming at it from the issue of insurance. Mm-hmm. And um, the interesting thing about, about this, right, is um, the thing about insurance is you are always, you're insuring against um, a known, small, but known risk, right? Yes. With a large downside, right? Yes. Um, but if you're talking about, say... Uh, insurance in a, in an area like coastal Florida, where <laughs> you should know that the risk of flooding, the risk of adverse weather events, is not small. Yeah. Right. That um, 
basically, how do you insure a place like that? Right? With because extremely high premiums. With extremely high premiums. But then <laughs> for the insurer, you're not even... It's not even insurance at that point. Yeah. For the insurer. Yeah. Right? Because you, you know that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then you come <laughs> back to the problem of, but everybody needs... Um, I, wait, I'm I'm trying to figure this out. I can't remember what I was because obviously these are these would be these would fall under local laws. Like, does does every homeowner require disaster insurance? Right, because huh, if, that's a good question. Yeah, right, because if you mandate it, then that's a very different proposition for the insurer. Yes. Right. At that point, you might as well just have a disaster tax. Yes, because, correct. It's a disaster right? tax. Yeah. Because <laughs> the thing is, if you if you don't mandate it, then you end up with a situation where there may just be some homes that remain as rubble because their owners can't do anything with it. Yep. They all their equity yep. is tied up in their in their property. It's yep. gone. They move out. Right off the land. It's, yeah, and and now there's this pile of rubble that yeah. isn't owned by anybody at this point, right? Or it's owned by some pe- people who, who really can't do anything about it. But it cannot be constructed on, yeah. cannot be yeah. meaningfully used in, a, in an urban now sense at least. it falls back onto the city to deal with it. So it makes sense for the city to say everybody must have disaster insurance. But then that changes the math for the insurer... Right. At which point yes. you might as well just say, what if we just get rid of the idea of disaster insurance and we just say every, you're, you're paying a, a disaster premium for the inevitable yep. weather event that's going to wreck <laughs> some of your houses, at which point then the city will pay out. Yep. Right? Because, yeah, I mean, how, how else are you going to manage it? But then you have this other problem, right, which is that insurance in theory, is supposed to account for the incidents of um, low-risk but independent events. Yes. I mean, so basically, right? you're, you're in a situation where the land should not be built on to begin with. At all, with. yeah. <laughs> At all, right? It should yeah. be... And, you know, this is this is something to, to you know, why we talk about... And this is something Singapore is investing quite a fair bit into right now, which is what we call nature-based climate solutions. Yeah. Right, which is, you know, using, say, things like regeneration of, of, of natural landscapes, things like swamps, things like mangroves, as a buffer, you know, against climate change. The problem, of course, is that everyone wants to live by the sea. Mm, yep. Right, and which is exactly the, not the place to be living at, especially if you're in a low-lying area, which is by the sea, you know, uh, in a place that's prone to adverse weather events like hurricanes, typhoons, what have you. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, it's there's always going to be some sucker stupid enough to buy land there. Yep. Right? And there's always going to be some kind of property developer who is more than happy to sell it to you. I mean, this is a kind of thing where... I mean, if you're, if you're going to carve out areas for nature-based climate solutions, right, let's say... Um, it would make sense for floodplains <laughs> to yes. be to be to be restricted, 
Right, but well, the only problem is that you know floodplains are prime land. Yes, <laughs> so you you know yes. you're you're saying that you know if if for example the land is already owned and in private hands, then buying back the land is going to be prohibitively expensive for the state. That's right? or, a problem. Or you know yeah. bad optics if the state just says you were taking back the land anyway. Screw you. Yeah, which I is mean, what Singapore I, can do. I'm thinking about like for example the green belt outside of London. Right. Right. I mean, I I guess. In, in a sense it's doable but but there's just a lot of I, I, I think most authorities just don't have the political capital to mm-hmm. to go about doing such a thing because and yeah. okay here's the other thing right well, if you don't have political capital and you're in a democracy you're gone yeah you just don't it's have actually, that much to spend yeah. and you'll just be replaced by somebody else who's not going to do who is not going to care about climate change, which is, yeah. Yeah. Not a solution so, yes. either, yeah. So, so, so I mean, which is why, you know, and, and this leads me to the whole thing about Bishan Park, Bishan mm-hmm. Hamokyo Park, and, and, and how remarkable it is as a piece of landscape architecture, right? It's, it's very it, impressive. It accommodates flooding in that it, you know, it combines drainage with recreation in a sustainable manner. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, to, the, the article does summarize it quite well, with, and it shows what Bishan Park used to look like, which was a drain. Yeah. <laughs> it, it used to be a drain with a large-ass field beside it with some trees there. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that, 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 that I, I was impressed on me, you know, in that course that I took, which is that drains have a fixed capacity. Yes. Right. It's a, if it's a concrete wall drain, it has a certain maximum volume it can it can accommodate, beyond which flood. Yeah. Right. So a flood is when your drainage volume is exceeded. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, by constricting your drainage to that narrow channel, you obviously, you know, increase the possibility of flood. And so what uh this this I think it's a German uh, landscape ar- architecture firm, uh, Italia Dry Settle, they did, was yep. that they said, okay, let's widen this drainage, but instead of turning it into a bigger concrete drain, which is unsightly, mm-hmm. right, you turn it back into a natural floodplain. Yep. Right? So, you you know, you soften the banks so the banks can absorb excess water as well into the yep. water table. That's very important. Yep. But you also smoothen the banks such that during low water periods, the entire bank is recreational area, and during yeah. high water periods, it absorbs that much more water. Right. It's I, so clever and it's so simple. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now. Now I'm curious about this, and I mean, there's probably a, a cut yes or no answer to this, but um, the drainage canal next to Tampines Eco Green is currently under construction, or yes, is boarded up. I think up. they're trying to soften it. Yeah. Right. So now I'm curious whether they are trying to do the same thing over there because Well, I mean this this isn't something we can do everywhere. So I think this is yeah. like Wampo Canal, which, you know, is is hemmed in by urban spaces on all sides. Right. Cannot yeah. be softened. But the um, thing about the eco green are... section is that it's eco green, it's a mm. it's a drainage canal, and then on the other side is park connector. Yeah, so I don't so, know. I I honestly don't know what yeah. the plans are for that. Although, you know, this has been proposed. At least, you know, rep- replicating Bishan Park has been proposed for several areas. Another place would be the Pangsua Canal area, mm-hmm. uh, leading out to the Kranji River. 
because that right. area also potentially could be softened up uh, a little bit. Right. You know, and, and, but this is the thing, and this is, this comes back to my broader gripe about Singaporeans being, you know, largely uh, frogs in the well. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, we, we have tried to engineer flooding away as much yep. as possible. Right. Yep. Uh, at least in our, in our growing years up until the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah. And obviously your engineering only goes so far. Mm-hmm. When you engineer, when you build a city with a, with a flood management regime in mind, you are anticipating a certain volume of flood water that you yeah. can deal with, that Correct. you can shunt away into either right. a reservoir or into an underwater, uh, underground uh, a chamber for, for retention, a retention pond, right? Mm-hmm. And the moment your flood water or your, your, your precipitation, your outflow exceeds that capacity, you're in mm-hmm. a flood situation or a, a ponding situation, <sighs> as the Singapore yeah. government likes to call it. Right. Which is why, you know, then Minister for Environment, Jacob Ibrahim, called it, called it a, a one, once in 50 years event. Nope. Even though, you know... It's happened multiple times <laughs> it's because they, since then. they only anticipate this kind of outflow happening every 50 years. Yeah. As a probabilistic kind of figure. Yeah. You know, so, so clearly the engineering that we, we've done in the past has not anticipated changes in precipitation patterns. I mean, this is always a problem with with a lot of these types of estimates, which is that they are based on past data yeah. with past circumstances. They they cannot really adequately account for for it's not a recursive algorithm, right? It's not yeah. it's not taking in new information. And the other thing about big building projects is once they're built right there is a cost to undoing that building yes and so if it's there becomes a problem of like if it's not broken don't fix it you you wait for the adverse weather event to happen and then you say okay now we know it has to be you gaff tape as much as you can which is what is the case in new orleans right you build the levees Mm. higher and higher and higher yeah and then when it finally overflows then you say okay maybe let's do something about it yeah so, Although they, they probably haven't. It's Louisiana, so... <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, I'm... Okay, so this is another thing. Because I am... Um, recently, right, I've been looking at Scrum methodology. And yes. obviously, this is one of those buzzwords that you see it everywhere. Almost nobody is actually implementing Scrum. But they all say that they are. <laughs> it's to the point where... Um, where just to get like an entry level job in tech, they're like, you should have experience with Scrum. Well, how am oh, I supposed boy. to have experience with Scrum if I've never had a it's a religion job is it? in the? Oh. It's 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 kind of unfortunate, honestly. But okay, I I also kind of feel that um, it's a situation of the followers are more ardent than the founder. R- right. Right. <laughs> I think this is a the th- fandom. Yeah, this is a thing that that you see um, in a lot of. It's I I don't know. It must be something about human nature, where yeah. people just want somebody to kind of follow. Um, yeah, and they're like, "Hey, we're doing Scrum, and <laughs> we are doing Scrum right, and you are doing Scrum wrong, and blah blah blah." Okay, but with that aside, I I do think that it has a lot of merits, right? Um, because Scrum originated as 
um, a way to answer this question of why is software development so bad? Mm. Why is it? Why do software projects always overrun? They produce substandard results. They mm-hmm. take twice as long, eat up twice as much budget as they were originally planned to in the beginning, and things like that. Right? That was the answer yeah. to the, you know, kind of the answer to the original question. Um, and the conclusion that I came to was that the technology field moves so quickly that in the time that it takes to develop a technology project, requirements may have changed. Right. So mm-hmm. um, you have this situation where, pro- especially for humongous projects, right? Requirements are laid out months or years in advance. And in the months and years that it takes to, you know, so at the start of the project, you make this beautiful plan, yeah. right? About how the project is going to run. And then by the end of it, even if it's delivered on time and on budget, which it never is, right? <laughs> the world has moved on. Yes. Right? And most of the time, it's not delivered on time and it's delivered over budget because as the world changes, you start reworking the requirements. You start saying, um, well, we don't need this requirement anymore. We have a new one. And then yep. to insert that midway through when the project has been beautifully planned out with schedules and everything. Um, to do that midway through, right, you you disrupt all of the project planning that has come before and is going to come afterwards. Yes. And the idea behind Scrum so, is okay, let's let's reduce the requirements to the to the minimum possible. And right. they've you know, they've described it as it you're trying to reduce the cost of changing your mind. Right? Okay. And so okay. you bring okay. down the the development cycle to something to somewhere between one and four weeks, right? You're building one to four weeks worth of stuff at any given time. And at the so, end of I, that I mean, time, am I Yeah, sorry. Yeah. At at the end of that time you review, okay, what was good, what was bad, and the next cycle, right? Mm-hmm. You bring in another one to four weeks worth of stuff. And I'm I'm right. grossly simplifying this, right? Because obviously yep. project management is a thing, is a whole discipline by itself. Yes. Um, and there are people whose entire job it is to manage this process and they are critical, right? I'm not, hmm. you know, they, they actually have jobs to do. They're not filler, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're not underemployed. Yeah. But the reason that I'm bringing this up is because the nature of infrastructure projects is that they almost cannot conform to this type of development. You have requirements that are set at the beginning. They take years to build out. And by the time they are done, the world looks very different. Yes. Yeah. For example, trains. Yes. Right. You have to plan in advance... Uh, you know, where you want to lay your tracks, where you yep. want to place your stations. And I mean, in the case of trains, actually it might be the other way around, is that the existence of a station will prompt development in an area. Yes. And I mean, right. You people know that, right? And that's why, for example, um, Bangkok Woodley Station, mm-hmm. right? They were, they were dormant. Built 
before yeah. there was enough volume to justify their opening. And yeah. I always think that, okay, so for a bit of context, right, in Singapore, there are um, there is a Northeast Line, which opened mm-hmm. to some fanfare uh, when it opened, except for two stations yes. that were left closed. Yes. There was... The White Elephant Stations. Yeah. There was Bangkok and there was Woodley. Woodley? Woodley? I don't know. Woodley, I don't know, yeah. Woodley? Yeah. Okay. And um, Bangkok residents were very unhappy that they had a station but couldn't <laughs> use it. And so one day, some white elephant signs appeared outside the station. And yes. uh, naturally, you know, this prompted debate, blah, 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 blah. And then finally it was opened. Still with very low passenger volume, but it was open. Yes. And I always thought it was funny that Bangkok was open, but Woodley was not. Because Woodley clearly didn't have enough volume to even have people complaining about it. Woodley <laughs> was beside Bidadari. It's beside a cemetery. You yeah. Know? It's... it's- and you know, clearly, it's, well in anticipation of of yeah of of Bidadari Estate, yes. No, I'm, I'm well. I was thinking more of like, is it open now? It's open now. Yes, it's open now. Uh, yeah, I okay. I use it to go to Bidadari for bird watching back before it got boarded up and developed. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean that's the thing. So because the timeline for development is so long, you have to bake in some assumptions about a future that may never happen. Right, but, but you know, okay. So, so this is actually a sign of a good thing. Yes, right. This is agreed. you know, in contrast to what we talked about with regard to water management of the past, it's that clearly when it comes to rail development, we are forecasting yes. not even thirty, maybe fifty years into the future. Yeah, right. Where your development is going to be, and this also comes out of what I've been working on, which is uh, you know uh, what I've been using for a lot of my work in the last couple of days, which is the master plan, mm-hmm. the urban master plan of Singapore, which you know. Uh, 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 sets out over the next 10, 20 years where our development is moving towards. Right. Now, naturally, there is I'm just a gonna tendency type towards... You'll hear whatever I'm typing. Yes. Yeah. You know, you, you will, there is a tendency to overdevelop and overplan in, mm-hmm. in these cases because, you know, the entire goal of the master plan is to carve up Singapore into land use areas. Yeah. But it does serve as a useful blueprint for saying, okay... Here's what we're going to do in the next few years, and here's how we can forecast infrastructural demand yep. uh, ahead of time. And you know, because Singapore is small, because it's largely centrally managed, these types of forecasting plans tend to be fairly effective. Mm-hmm. The snaggle comes when you have multiple governments or multiple administrations to deal yeah. with, like we see with the high-speed rail, which is, yeah. again, well, all these things happen at the same time. It's remarkable, uh, which, <laughs> you know, for, for those who are not aware, Singapore and Malaysia have been trying to plan a high-speed rail line between Kuala Lumpur and Singapore, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to get there by train today would require 11 hours by yeah. train. Not pleasant. Plus one change at Gamas. Um, Great. And... Uh, you know, and the Singapore to KL route by by plane is one of the busiest air routes in the world, even though it's yep. a half an hour flight. Yep. It's a one hour to half an hour flight, basically. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, Malaysia has just decided that, you know what? It doesn't need a station in Singapore. So they are cancelling their side of the high-speed line agreement with Singapore. And they will probably... Uh, if a high-speed line get, does get built, it will terminate in Johor Bahru, just north of Singapore. I mean, we all know what's going to happen, right? 
<laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, honestly. I mean, we all know what's going to happen, as in, like, people will just... <sighs> people going to Singapore will just stop at JB. Fly. No, they will, or they will fly. fly. I mean, you know... Because, like, who yeah, wants to cross that checkpoint? Which is the least, you know, sustainable solution. Yep. Climate-wise. Right? A high-speed rail is, you know, incredibly environmentally efficient. It's electric, so it will require... It doesn't It doesn't burn hydrocarbons as it goes along, unlike mm-hmm. our current rolling stock, which is not electric. Right, yep. Right. And, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just... It just boggles the mind how, you know, these projects end up getting just, yeah, canned because of silly things. I mean... I don't know. This is kind of the reality of um I don't want to say the reality of of, of intergovernmental cooperation necessarily but I, I funnily enough I was um just listening last night to again a planet money episode called <laughs> um how to stop an asteroid <laughs> okay. and uh, this one deals a lot with okay low risk high downside events like an asteroid strike mm-hmm. And the yeah. economists were actually no talking about I don't say. yeah, and um, <laughs> Sorry, okay. the the economists were talking about how people are very very bad at estimating the the incidence of very low probability events, right? So right. the way that it was worded it was like we are very bad at telling a low a small probability from a low from a tiny probability from yes. an infin- infinitesimal probability, like we just have no <laughs> sense of what the difference between those three things are. And sure. then they also talked about how, especially in economics, in the sense of how it affects human behavior and human perception and human calculations of probability, yep. zero is a very kind of magical number. And <laughs> we treat this in price the same way that we treat it in probability. Or, or uh, I won't say probability, but in, um, I guess, statistics, right? Probability yep. being how how likely is an event to happen in the future versus how much has it happened in the past. Yeah, you know, statistics being how much it has happened before, and yes. um, something can have a low probability, but never happened before in human history, and then we are still going mm-hmm. to undercount that low probability because we assume that it has never happened before, and yep. even if we know intellectually that there is a small probability we're still going to discount it because it's not salient. Yeah. Whereas something that is very low probability, but that does happen, we are going to overcount that risk, right? Mm-hmm. Even though those two things, an asteroid strike and like a shark attack, might actually be similar in probability. Yes. Right, because we have seen shark attacks, we have not seen asteroid strikes. Yep. And we just assume that, therefore, shark <laughs> attacks must be defended against and asteroid strikes should not. Right. right. And um, that's one side of the discussion. The other side of the discussion is, um, how, do you, how do you fund an asteroid defense system? Because yeah. this is the freeloader public good problem like, taken to the extreme, yes. right? In the sense, uh, and climate change has the same effect. And so it's it's yes. that whole thing of again when you are talking about at a, at a national level, 
why does a government have to make people pay taxes? Because otherwise, mm-hmm. nobody would pay for the roads, nobody would pay for public infrastructure, nobody would pay for the military. All those things that are a public good, right? Um, but that require funding. And this is true across yes. the board, right? Mm-hmm. Because the nature of it is... Um, it's not excludable. You can't stop somebody from using a road. Well, you can, but it'll be a pain. With tolls. Right? Mm-hmm. Or, or actually, a, a, a good example, a common example in this case is pollution. Right? You can't stop people yes. from breathing clean air, but it costs money to enforce pollution standards. Yes. Right? And yep. so you need to make people pay for it. Yes. Right? Um, through taxation. And but, people don't want to, obviously. And people don't want to, right? But when... Okay, then we are leaving the realm of economics and we are going to the realm of politics and, you know... Sociology. Um, and, and sociology yeah. and how, yep, the government, um, the state... What's the, the phrase from that guy? Um, a state is defined by the legitimate exercise of power or something like that? Yes, Okay, correct. but that's yes, a, yes. That's a whole other thing. Exercise violence, yeah. Yep. The legitimate use of violence, right? Yes. Or something like that. Um, but leaving all that aside, okay, a government can make its citizens do that. But when you reach something like climate change, and this is mm-hmm. this is a problem that, of course, everybody has been talking about, right? You reach a level of climate change or you reach a level of like um, a planetary level um, threat, yeah. right? Governments don't have the ability to compel other governments to pay. That's right. right? The tragedy of the commons. It is. As everyone calls it. It's a form of a tragedy of the commons, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And there is this game of chicken where it's like, I know know that paying would benefit me, but Mm -hmm. it benefits you as well. And you paying would also benefit me. And so I'm going to see how long I can wait out before... You pay instead. I have to pay. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's human wanna... behavior at writ large to a governmental scale. And it's... Correct. Yeah. Uh, the two economists who explained it, <laughs> they were like, well, if I do the dishes, my wife <laughs> gets a clean kitchen. So right. the question is, does she want a clean kitchen more than she wants to do the dishes? <laughs> right? Against... The same calculation for me. This person and, needs to re-examine his home life, but okay. Well, they are both economists. They are a married <laughs> pair of economists. Oh dear God! Oh, what a <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's no such. There's no home life. Yeah. Then, but Tim, okay. Tim Wolfers and <laughs> Betsy Stevenson, I think, and they've written an econ's textbook together. Oh, so, there we go. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah, and um. So the dilemma, I think, is that paying for asteroid defense would be very cheap by international standards. And it has a very high upside, but nobody wants to do it because it's simply not a salient threat. Plus, it suffers from the freeloader problem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Wonderful. So. 
So I mean, so you know, the, the, yeah. Where where did we come from? I have no idea where where we were going with this discussion. But you know, uh, so the, the issue know. of flooding. I was just going back to square one, right? It's it, yep. you know, I I just wanted to say that you know, we've engineered the hell out of it. We've tried to engineer as much of it away from the public consciousness as possible, which is why whenever it occurs, it's so disruptive. Yes. Because people yeah. don't expect it. And of course, the public has certain expectations then about how flooding regimes should occur. Right. Um, that very often conflict with reality because yeah. they live in such a, a, a engine, over-engineered space. Shall we say, right? So I think you know Bishan Park is an example of where we need to 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 look at moving forward. It's that yep. you know sustainability is not just oh you know not using plastic bags, but it's figuring out how we can design spaces and live lives that are able to cope with disruptions in the future. Yeah, disruptions that we know with some level of certainty are likely to happen at some point. Yes, More I mean this is just the reality. This is right. just the reality moving forward. Yeah, it's, you know, how do we mitigate, but how do we also do preventive actions ahead of time? Yeah. It, it, it is, I guess, similar to Scrum, right? It's avoiding over-engineering the situation at the very beginning and leaving yourself wiggle room. Yes. I mean, in, in, in philosophy, not in methodology, mm. yeah. I mean, in, in modeling as well, which I've been talking yeah. about for the last couple of weeks, it is basically, you know, the, the, the trade-off between an overfit model or a generalizable model. Right, yeah. This is something I've been grappling with the, the last couple of weeks, which is that, you know, if I make a model with 7 million parameters, mm-hmm. it's going to fit my empirical data really, really, really well. Right. Right, my current data set. But can I use this model to predict what's going to mm. happen in the future? Yeah. With 7 million parameters? Probably not. Yeah. Whereas if I have a simpler model with, say, five parameters, mm-hmm. it might be more generalizable. Right. I mean, in the realm of, in the realm of, you know, the built environment and, and kind of melding it with, with um, natural phenomenon. I don't want to say natural phenomenon, but, you know, with a, I, I, I kind of cringe when I hear like natural world as well. Because right. it's, it's this... Very artificial distinction between the natural world and the urban world, as if the urban world doesn't exist on this, this planet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but the, these types of discussions always make me think of Freiburg because, right. um, I mean, my sister lived there for five years, right? So, visited a lot, very familiar with it. And um, I don't remember if we have talked about it on this podcast, um, but there is a neighborhood in in Freiburg called Faubon. Okay. And I don't remember why it's called Fabon, but let's just say Freiburg is on the French border. It's changed hands several times, naturally, mm-hmm. because it's on the French border. After World War II, it was part of the French sector. Right. And, which is like, what? Because you always think of like, you know, the British sector, the American sector, the Russian sector. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> everyone knows that there was a French sector, but nobody cares about it. Um, <laughs> which... <laughs> yeah. So Freiburg was Not part of surprising the, to be honest, but okay. <laughs> Freiburg was part of the French sector and the French army was actually stationed there fairly uh, up to fairly recently. Fairly recently okay. being in the nineteen nineties. Right. And um they had a French army barracks. Um and the the barracks were emptied, right, when the French army yep. left. 
and that neighborhood became known as I don't know if it was already known as football or if it became known as football. Right? Okay. Uh, but also just worth noting that uh, football was very active in that region as well. Like if you if you travel like slightly out of Freiburg and you you know cr- cross the border to like Colmar, which is just yep. across the border, it's like one hour by by bus. You do pass by um, a fort built by Forborn in that traditional kind of shape, that star shape. The star shape, that, is it? Yeah, the that star forts, is known yeah. for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was very active in that region. So um, the neighborhood where the French Army bar- barracks used to be is is called Forborn, and basically when they were developing the neighborhood, they went in with a very conscious idea: we're going to make this an eco city. The thing is, it's not. I wouldn't say it's integrated into the natural environment around it in the same way that we're talking about with with um, Bishan Amukyo. But I think as mm-hmm. a civic infrastructure project, it's fairly interesting. Um, because, okay, there's this very good article which I'm going to dig up from The Guardian. So mm-hmm. there was another um, civic infrastructure project before Fobon called Rieselfeld where they were building um, a new cluster of, of homes. And they were, you know, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know how you compare Freiburg, which is a city of 200,000 with Singapore, which is mm-hmm. a city of 5 million. 5 million. Yeah. Right. Um, and the expertise in developing civic projects, because it's a completely different scale. But basically yeah. when they were developing, Rizal felt they, they found some problems, which is like, they built the homes, then they built the tram lines. And so ah, for the first ugh. couple of years, it's the, it's the Bangkok problem, right? Yes. For the first couple of years, yeah. people, everyone had to drive in and out. And then yep. that presents its own set of problems because there was no... Because it becomes entrenched public transport. Well, behavior. Yeah, yeah, there was no public transport available. Um, and they kind of took those lessons and they transferred them to Fobong. And obviously, right, again, okay. it's Freiburg. There is a there is a different set of considerations. Like when they were building out Rieselfeld, I think one of the things that they did was they wanted um, kids to be able to play in the street and for parents to supervise them from their homes. And so right. all the buildings, all the homes, right, are less than, I think, like four or six stories. And so, is that right? Okay. Yeah, so any parent right can just like look out of their window and see their kids playing in the in the common areas and call out to them right. if necessary and yeah. the idea is right then you don't raise a generation of kids who are just stuck at home because they can't be let out into yeah. the street to play that kind of thing uh, but that's that's a whole different discussion because like yes. when my sister went to school there um there were local kids who grew up without computers in uh-huh. 20 in in the 21st century Gosh. <laughs> like, you're like, what do they do? They just read a lot. They just read a lot. Interesting. I mean, right. this, this is, I mean, this is a, 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 a sort of a follow-on discussion, but it is a bit tangential, I guess, to what we're talking about. But, you know, yeah. it does bring up the importance of the idea of how urban design shapes urban function and also yeah. people. Right, and yeah. this is something that you know. If you read people like Jane Jacobs, you read people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, architects. You know, it, it it is a big part of the literature, and it is yeah. it is something that people have been thinking about for for a very long time. Yeah, you know how over engineering urban spaces often leads to 
unintended consequences, for example, yeah. right? And and yeah, you you get all these, you know, yeah. I I mean, I'm I'm just talking out of the side of my mouth here, but yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know how important it is to to bear in mind these considerations when designing cities. Yeah. So yeah. I just want to wrap up the the part yes. about formal, <laughs> right? So they they stole some ideas from that, like all I think all the the apartment buildings, all the apartment blocks are like four yep. stories max. Yep. Same same kind of principle. There's one central thoroughfare is the only portion that's allowed to have cars, right? None of the side roads are allowed to have cars. Yes. And the central thoroughfare, the cars, right? Only delivery vehicles. Interesting. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, so this is pedestrianization is a, taken to an almost extreme. Right. Gosh. Correct. And the buildings, they are all. I mean, they are all built um, with heating in mind. Right. Because obviously, in a place with four seasons, heating is one of the biggest power costs. Right. Yes. Of course. Um. Yes. And so I don't know what kind of. Act- don't know the details of the insulation, but they are built such that very little electrical insulation is needed. M- vast majority of it is passive insulation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, they basically the tops of all the buildings are solar panel, solar paneled, right, I guess. Right. And yeah. um, that neighborhood, this is the thing that always blows my mind, that neighborhood, right, actually generates electricity huh. to go back into the city's grid. Nice. Oh, that's very nice. Right. So they yes. don't pay a power bill, they get a power rebate. Holy shit. <laughs> it's, it's like, what I'm, 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 an you know, idea. This is the benefit of thinking ahead when you design. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, and this is something that, you know, I mean, to be fair, this is not something that, 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 that is necessarily a novel concept. It is just that, you know, our priorities have changed over time and and yeah. the way we think about our future has also changed over time. Yes, very much so, yeah. Right, and I think we now have a better idea of what <laughs> might work and what might not work. You know, <laughs> early, sort of, you know, late 20th century blue skies thinking didn't yeah. always have a, a strong correspondence with, with reality, shall we say. <laughs> nope. Nope. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Fobon model does have its kind of downsides. So, mm-hmm. um, if you want to park in Fobon, there is one there is one um, car park. Right. And it costs, I think, like some crazy amount of... I can't remember what the parking costs were, but it's like four <laughs> figures. Sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that I think is the cost of basically offsetting your, your vehicle, your vehicle use. Right. Yep. Is the idea. Yep. I mean, right? it's the same thing we have here, right? The, the parking charges in town right. are ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but this is, is, it's a conscious kind of like tax on car use. So to speak. Yes. but yes. reportedly what actually happens is people just park outside. Like, yep. people who live there, they don't keep their cars near their yep. house. They park, like, 10 minutes away and they walk home. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, I mean, Again, there you are know, some how city design of, and yeah. it shapes human behavior, right? Yeah. I mean, there are the, some the aspects famous, of yeah. human behavior that are just really hard to overcome, like that one. I think yeah. you'd find this, for sure, if you tried something similar in Singapore, you'd find the same behavior. 
No, you absolutely will. I mean, you know, yeah. the, 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 the classic example that you will find in most, I guess, textbooks, and it's one of my favorites, is, you know, if I build a path that is a right angle, people yes. will just walk the diagonal. Yeah, <laughs> correct. <laughs> because that's human nature. This, you know, people... This is something that's starting to happen where um, on, I think, college campuses especially, yeah. sometimes they will build, like, quads with the normal yeah. paths. Yeah. And then they'll see how people walk. That's right. And then they put the path onto it. Yeah. Yeah. Once the paths have been established, then they pave them. Yeah. Yeah. It makes more sense, actually. Rather than having to go through the digging up, re-turfing, concreting, and my God. You know how expensive that is? (sighs) I don't, but I can imagine. (laughs) Here's the crazy thing. Like, on the path from my apartment block to the car park, right? Um, The one that we kind of waded through yesterday... Yes. So for years, what what it is is that there's like the ground floor, and then there is a um, there is a basement level, and for years, the there there wasn't a way for you to get from the 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 walking path to the basement of the car park. I mean, there was, but there was it was a long <laughs> way around, right? It was a long way around, and not a lot of people took it to be honest okay right. uh what you would see a lot of families do was you okay so you imagine this you imagine the situation you have a car park yes and then on the front facing the main road there is a slope down to yes. the basement and then on the back of the car park are where all the apartment blocks are yes now people who have parked their cars in the basement they are not going to walk to the front of the car park and then walk down. They are not. Right? Because the thing about the car park is that all the sides, all the sides are exposed. It's yep. just that it's just that there is a slope from the front down. So yep. what everybody did was they walked halfway to the front mm-hmm. so that the slope was manageable. Right? <laughs> they just hiked the slope. <laughs> and they just hiked the slope down. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Right and like literally, like as a kid, we would just walk down, and I would just jump down to the bottom. And like over time, right, they there is you cut like a very mini hiking slope. Right, yeah. I mean, you know what it looks like, yeah. right? When when people like cut a trail across, yeah, yeah, it's just bare like ground, sort of like grass. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But this time it's on a slope. And it's a, it's a fairly steep one. It's, it's really quite steep. And like years and years and years and years of people doing this later, they made a staircase. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, this goes, well, you know, this is UI versus UX. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you design versus what people actually do with it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know... Yeah. Uh, Urban landscapes are fascinating for that very reason, but also frustrating for that very bloody reason. Yeah. Okay, I think we have to wrap up because I have to go um, for lunch okay. and trudge down the staircase. Yes, the staircase. Wonderful. Um, so, any last words before we, we wrap up? I think that's more or less what I have to say. My usual rant about flooding uh, and urban design and you know right. how we are getting better, but still stuck in some ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good summary? All, all I can say is, good enough summary. Did you say that there is another storm coming? 
Yes, what well, hasn't happened yet? Has it just started? No, it hasn't. I mean, uh, not that I can was, tell. It was drifting a little bit east and north, so I'm not sure if it's. Hang on, let me just look Great. at the, the weather reader again. Hang on. Uh, did it just start? Oh, I no, it just started over Pongo. No, it just hit oh. Tampanese. Yeah, it's just encroached into Singapore about four minutes ago. Well, about ten minutes ago, it it gone rain. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to rain I hard. just need to make it into the car park before <laughs> then you better before run. it really starts yes yeah before it kicks off and then after that I will be more or less home free yes. so right. enjoy <laughs> the rest of the day sheltered so <laughs> until okay will you be free next week will there be I would like school to, be started I would like to do next week officially school hasn't started um, okay ne- officially next week school has won't have started because it starts on 11th However, oh. the course mm-hmm. materials are already available and I've started working yes. through them. So, yes. Anyway, we can talk about that nice. next week. Indeed. Yep. All right. Yep. Okay, so the show notes for this episode will be available at monkeymind.xyz slash 015 and we will, we will talk next week. We will. I say optimistically. <laughs> Till next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.